electronic updates, you got a little bit of information about him. He's on staff at New City, which is one of our sister churches. Josh Rotano, who pastors that, once upon a time was my intern at our mother church, North Cincinnati Community Church, which has birthed various churches. We're actually the ninth church plant, if you're generous in the counting, of, out of North Cincinnati. And uh, so we have a very similar philosophy of ministry and, uh, and uh, high opinion of each other. At least I have a high one of him. And um, so it's, it's great to have Ryan here in, in our midst, who grew up in, in China, and then his family relocated here to the Fairfield area, um, wandered a bit around getting educated and serving as well in Washington, D.C., in the, the legal field, and then was called to ministry uh, equipped and trained, and then hired eventually by, by New City. I originally was not going to be here today. I was going on the St. Louis trip, but some calendar things shifted around. So here I am. It's typical uh, that when I have somebody who's filling in, I'm, I'm gone, and that's the reason why that happened. So it's kind of nice for me just to be able to be on the receiving end as well of uh, Ryan's preaching ministry. So he's going to be uh, speaking today from the Psalms, and uh, we're going to have that read to us first by, by Kirsten. There's a black Bible in front of you. If you don't have your own, I encourage you to turn there and find Psalm 51 or turn there in your own Bible as well. It's on page 562. If you want to turn there and look, I think it's a good idea to do that. And then after uh, Kirsten reads, we'll have Ryan come up and preach God's word to us. Thank you, Kirsten. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I have been a sinner from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices 
whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of God. Good morning. Yeah, there we go. Hi, good morning. It's great to be back. My name is Ryan Zhang. It's been a long time. For some of you who are, may not be familiar with me, um, let me introduce myself like Mark just did. Thank you. My name is Ryan Zhang. I am a pastor of New City Presbyterian Church, a sister down there in Norwood. And it's been a while. I used to come up here more regularly. I'm a great friend of Mark and and then life got busy with two kids, and ministry got busy, so I felt like Mark just gave up and stopped asking. <laughs> but I'm glad to be back here today with you, and a little bit more about who I am that would help you make sense of what I'm about to say. So I, like Mark said, I grew up in China. I was born in China, and I grew up there until I was 12, and then we moved here to Cincinnati, to Fairfield, went to middle school and high school in Fairfield, and then college, work in D.C., and then Boston for grad school. So I just moved back three years ago to work at New City. And New City, we are going through... Um, we just had our 10th year anniversary celebration in New City, and we are going through a sermon series called Gospel DNA, in which we look through the fundamentals of Christianity and talk about what makes us unique, what makes us different, why are we here as a church, and now, now we are entering our 10th year. So this sermon came out of that. Um, but before I go too far, I want to begin by showing you a picture, Okay. Oh, what a cute baby, right? Look at those large, innocent eyes. Can anyone guess who this baby might be? It's me, of course. That's right, that's a picture of me when I was about one year old. Have you ever wonder how our kids, my, my kids are somewhere around here. If you see them today, you wonder how come they are so cute. This is your answer. They got it from me. Okay. Now, for those of you who now know who I look, what I look like, and who I am today, you're probably asking, "What happened?" <laughs> it's okay. You know, I wonder about that too. How come a cute, innocent baby like this become a big weirdo like me? <laughs> and in fact, one time I posted this picture on Facebook with the caption, "I used to be cute. What happened?" And one of my friends come reply in the comment, "You started talking." And I suspect this is not just me, and I think perhaps you'll understand this a bit too well. You know, what happened? We used to be cute. What happened? We used to be happy together. What happened? Our lives were wonderful. What happened? The project started off so well. What happened? She had so much potential. What happened? As I've mentioned, at New City, we're exploring some of the most fundamental questions about Christian faith. And one question that stares all of us in the face is what's wrong with us? What happened to this world? And we don't have to be Christian or even religious to see that things are not the way they're supposed to be. We are not 
who we want to be. So what happened? Well, Christianity has a word for that, and that word is sin. Now, many of you are probably wondering, wait a minute, I thought sin refers to individual actions that we do to violate God's laws. Well, that's still true. Don't worry. But these big and small individual violations form a fabric of sin that holds the entire world in bondage. And theologian Cornelius Plantinga calls sin a vandalism of shalom, a vandalism of peace, of God's peace. God created the world for universal flourishing, for wholeness and delight. But sin entered to wreak havoc on everything. And this captures another aspect of sin as well. Sin not only spoils everything in the world, it's a direct rebellion against God's sovereignty. Now, God created the world to flourish according to design, but any deviation from that design basically says to him, I think I know better. I'm going to do things my way. In a more poetic language, we are saying, I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. And see what happens when we, look, when we all live all that out. Psalm 51 tells us that when we take a hard look at ourselves, the picture is not pretty. And you may say, well, that's really your fault, Pastor Ryan. If you had picked a more uplifting passage, then we'll feel better about ourselves. Well, then my challenge to you is, Look through the entire Bible. Can you really find one passage, one story, one event that could make us feel good about humanity? What would Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Peter, Mary Magdalene be without God? Look at King David, model of faithfulness and valiance, a man after God's own heart. And yet this psalm tells the story of what happens when David got everything he wanted. He kept on sinning. Sin happened. The psalm tells us as we sin, we're also sinful, and we need God's help. Now, there are, these are three things I want to learn, I learned about myself, and I hope you would come to agree with me. That we sin, we're sinful, and we need God's help. And of course, most of us would easily agree that we sin. And fewer of us would agree that we are inherently sinful, and maybe still fewer of us would agree that we need help from God. But all three are necessary if we want to really know who we are. So let's begin. In the most basic level, sin is an action. David sinned. He does something terrible. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, as you see the heading of the psalm says, A Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan comes to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. If you look at um, 2 Samuel 11, for those who are not familiar with the story, after David had consolidated the kingdom and God set him up as king all over Israel in Jerusalem, David was looking out from his roof and saw Bathsheba taking a bath. And David lusted after her. He co- covets her, which, as you know, is a violation of the 10th commandment. So he asked his guards to summon her, and he spends the night with her, which now... It's a simultaneous violation of both the seventh and eighth commandment because not only that he's committing adultery with Bathsheba, he's also stealing someone else's wife because Bathsheba at that time was married to a man named Uriah. And after he thought he could get away with it, Bathsheba sent a message to him and says, I'm pregnant. 
Now David is stuck. So he comes up with a brilliant cover-up. He summons Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, back from war, and he gets him drunk, and he sends Uriah back home to spend a night with Bathsheba. The only problem is Uriah was a more righteous man than David, and he refuses to go home to his wife when his friends are still fighting in the front line. So David's cover-up failed, and now he's also violated the Ninth Commandment because he's tried to lie about his sins. And at last, he breaks the Sixth Commandment by sending Uriah back to the front line and having him murdered. And just me notice, when we sin, we don't usually just violate one commandment. It's always tied together with all the things that God told us not to do. But go back to the story. I invite you to look at 2 Samuel 11. Also look at Prophet Nathan's confrontation with David in 2 Samuel 12 because that confrontation contains probably the best sermon in the Old Testament. Now many of you may say, yeah, that's pretty bad, but I'm not as bad as David. I have never done anything like that. What if we've actually been pretty good ourselves? Well, then let me ask you this. Is there a time a decision, an action that you wish you could go back to do over again. It could be a decision that, you led to, that led to bad consequences. It could be that you had hurt somebody. It could be that a word you've said you wish you could take back. It doesn't even have to be illegal. You just know that it's wrong and you wish you could have a do-over. Well, of course, we've all had mistakes like that. But compared to what David did, our mistakes are small. Right? But notice how David describes his actions. He uses three different words, sin, iniquities, transgressions. But one word he never used, and a word you almost never see in the whole Bible, is the word mistake. Sin is serious. The Bible does not downplay its significance as mistakes or accidents. Does that mean all sins are equal? No. Some sins are more serious than others, but all sins should be taken seriously. Let me show you why. Have you ever wondered why David says what well, he said in verse 4? Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And how dare you to say that, right, David? What about the sins and the damage you've done to Bathsheba and Uriah? Well, yes, those deeds are terrible. But David's David's acknowledging the heart of the issue. These terrible damages can't even compare with the evil that he has done against God. As I mentioned earlier, sin is direct rebellion against God's sovereignty and because we're choosing to do things our way and look how this rebellion plays out here. At the moment, David lusts after Bathsheba. He's essentially saying, what God has given me is not enough. I'm going to get me some more. And then when he's caught by lying, he's saying, I don't think God is smart enough. I can hide this from God. And when he takes someone else's wife, he said, I don't care about God's blessings for me, to her another human being. And when he murders Uriah, he, completely, he completes the rebellion by usurping God's sovereignty to destroy a man's life. Now, you may not be a murderer, or adulterer, or thief, but what message does your small mistakes communicate about God? When you lie to your parents, are you thinking that God isn't wise enough to know the truth? When you steal a pencil, are you thinking that God doesn't love you enough to provide for you? 
when you lust after other people, are you thinking that God doesn't care about your faithfulness to one person? That's why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, when you hate someone, it's as if you have murdered that person. If you had lusted after someone, it's as if you had committed adultery with that person. Because even though the actions are different, the degrees of damages are different, your basic attitude toward God are the same at those moments. You know, is God so small, so insignificant, so dumb that he could easily be ignored, deceived, or denied? I mean, try this at home. The next time, you cut someone you love lying to you, whether it's your kids, your spouse, your friends, anyone you love, even just a small lie, I dare you just let it go. Just let it go. Forget about it. Don't be offended that it happened. They may think that you don't deserve to know the truth. They may think that you're not smart enough to find out the truth. They may think that you're not strong enough to handle the truth. Whatever it is, just forget about it and just move on. Don't even be offended. Or if someone you love does something terrible to you. Once I was taking an Uber, and the Uber driver told me about a man who came into his car weeping. And later the driver found out this man found his brother had cheated on him with his girlfriend. And beyond the pain of betrayal by his brother and his girlfriend, essentially what this man realized that neither his brother nor his girlfriend really cared about him. If something like that happens to you, can you just forget about it and move on, let it go? No. Right? None of us could do that. And imagine if this is done to you over and over again in a whole lifetime. What kind of damage would it do to your relationships? If we can't accept that from another human being, imagine how God would react when we do this to him, the holiest, the wisest, the most powerful being of the universe. And we don't just do it once, we ignore him, deny him, betray him every time we make one of our mistakes. And we may not care about the seriousness of sins, but we're only fooling ourselves. We think that God does not care about our sins. He doesn't take them seriously. David knows that God takes sins very seriously. And that's why he says in verse 3, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. He can't shake them off. Once he sees them, he can't unsee his sins. So here's one practical question you could ask yourself. Are you only sorry about the consequences of your sins or are you sorry about the sins themselves? Now what's the difference? Let me, ask, let me put it this way. Do you only feel bad about your sins when you are caught? Or does it grieve you that you have offended God even if you're not caught? Because if you only feel bad because you're caught, then the next time, you will only try to be more careful. But if your soul is troubled because you've offended God, then you have no other option than to go to God and repent and plead for His mercy. You have no choice but to turn to him. Now, if at this point you feel really bad about yourselves, don't worry, it's going to get worse. <laughs> of course, none of us are perfect. Most of us are not as bad as David. Our good deeds surely outweigh our bad ones, right? Well, that may be true. So after the service, if you want to take a drive, down to Norwood, I invite you to come to my house for brunch. We just brought a lot of fresh, locally grown, organic eggs. 
but we have half a dozen really old, rotten, kind of smelly, stinky eggs in our fridge. I would like to cook them up. So I would like to cook them all up together and serve them to you. Because I'm a generous person, I won't eat any of it. You guys could have it all, okay? If you're not willing to eat any of that, how do you expect God to accept you? You notice in this psalm, David never mentioned any of his good deeds, but he talked about his heart multiple times. Verse 6, Yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb you taught me wisdom in that secret place. And the ESV says, in the secret heart. Verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 16, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offering. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, O God, would not despise. Doesn't matter what good deeds it has done, doesn't matter what kind of offering it has made, nothing short of a heart transplant can save David. What God is after is not your own righteous deeds. He wants your righteousness. He wants you to be righteous. That's exactly the thing that we can give him. The prophet Isaiah says, our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. They cover up our nakedness. They don't do much more. They don't make us clean. Because here's the real zinger. Verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We're naturally born sinful. The natural tendency of our hearts is rebellion. We're naturally very gifted in sinning. We come pre-programmed to lie, murder, adultery, and sin and greed. Genesis 6, 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Ouch. When I first came to America, my family attended this Chinese church here in Cincinnati. And that was my first contact with Christianity. And in Chinese... The word for sin is the same word that we use for crime. So when the preacher says, you're a sinner, to my 12-year-old brain, I heard, you're a criminal. And I thought, that's odd. I've never committed any crime before. How come this guy says I'm a criminal? These Christians are not very nice. (laughs) Later on, when I began to look into Christianity more seriously, and I realized crimes and sins are very different. One major difference is when it comes to crime, I become a criminal when I'm convicted of a crime. But when it comes to sin, I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. Let me say it again. I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I am a sinner. I know to our modern ears, this concept of original sin seems so backward and archaic. It must be pretty bad for our kids' self-esteem. But we actually agree with this much more than we think. The thing about the word impulsive, when we say I was just being impulsive, I was acting impulsive, it's almost always with a negative connotation, right? Being impulsive is never good. But why? You know, if our natural tendencies are good, how come our impulses are always bad? Or think back into your childhood, as far back as you can remember. When do your parents teach you to lie. When do your parents sit down with you and say, 
Here, kids, this is how you become selfish. <laughs> For me, that conversation happened when I was 12. <laughs> no Chinese kids are very cute and innocent, see? <laughs> so Chinese parents have this conversation much later than most other cultures. So finally, when I was in sixth grade, my parents sat me down and said, Tiu, that's my Chinese name, Tiu, it's time for you to stop being so nice. We're going to America. Here's how you become selfish like the Americans. Start by sinning like this, this, and this. And the rest is history. No! No one does that. At least no sane parents would do that. And children may grow up in terrible childhood and have terrible worldviews distorted by trauma. But I hope none of your parents taught you how to do bad things. If anything, from a very young age, your parents have been teaching you not to lie, not to hit other people, not to steal. And surely, maybe kids just don't know better, but now you're all grown up. Some of you have received higher educations. Are you confident enough to say, I have put that selfishness behind me? I'm really good at not coveting other people's stuff. I'm an expert in loving my neighbor. And this may look like a cute, innocent child to you. Come to my house after church, and my mom could tell you what a devilish child I was when I was one year old. Why I serve you scrambled eggs. <laughs> Listen, if all you need is a change in your behaviors, then all grace means to you it's just a chance to do better next time. And over time, it will be crushing to you because despite all your efforts and works, you will find yourself just where you started. One man at my church always says to me, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. True folly is expecting to have different results, different behaviors, without any transformation in your nature. And God doesn't offer us just simple change in behavior. He offers us a transformation, a deeper transformation. It will require us to acknowledge something we don't want to acknowledge, and that is we are sinful. We are bad to our core, and we need help. So what can we do? Who can transform us? And David's grieved by his sins against God. He knows he has committed evil against God. Moreover, he knows he needs a total transformation in his heart. So what does he do? He repents to God. And here we find something very odd about repentance. In the very beginning of the psalm, David cries out to God, have mercy on me. That's perfectly natural, right? For someone pleading for mercy, pleading with mercy with someone who has power to punish him. But then David also goes on to plead, wash away all my iniquities, cleanse me from my sins, cleanse me with hyssop, wash me. Not only that, David also asks, create me a pure heart, renew a steadfast spirit within me. And not only that, David goes on even further, let me hear joy and gladness. Let, let, my, let the bones of crushed rejoice, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. No, it makes perfect sense for someone to ask the judge to have mercy on him. How often do you hear someone asking a judge for a cure? Make me a new man. Turn my life around for me. And not only that, 
Have you ever heard someone asking a judge, give me joy, make me happy again? I mean, think of the audacity of this repentance. What David seeks is not just mercy, he's asking God to change him. And doesn't want just change, he's asking God to love him. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities, but do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't look at my sins, but still love me as who I am. Who can do that? Who would do that? Imagine someone or everyone has access to a transcript of your thoughts. Your friends, your spouse, your children, your parents, they can read everything that comes across your mind. How would that affect your relationships? Rebecca McLaughlin, the former Vice President Veritas Forum, she answered, my marriage would die, my children would be crushed, my friends would leave, all relationship hinges to some extent on hiding. We all manage our self-disclosure in varying degrees and ways. Think about your social media profile. We find ourselves making a choice to be known or to be loved. We do not dare to ask even the closest people in our lives to know us and love us fully. And yet, this is what David asked of God. Now that you have known me, you have seen my sins, you have searched them in the most parts of my being, take me back, restore me, love me. And God says, yes. And this strikes at the heart of what we Christians call Grace. God knows us and still loves us. God sees through all of us, but yet He still chooses, chooses to come and take our punishments. He knows us fully, and yet He loved us fully. So much so that He would sacrifice Himself for us. He becomes the right sacrifice. He becomes the food burnt offering. He becomes the sacrificial lamb. On the cross, the blood of Jesus blotted out our sins. He washed us clean with His blood so that we can be whiter than snow. And if that's all that Jesus has done for us, we would make Good Friday our biggest holiday. But that's the day when Jesus, because that's the day when Jesus died for our sins. But you know that we don't just celebrate Good Friday. We're even more excited for Easter Sunday because on Easter Sunday, God restored to us the joy of salvation. And when David asked God for a clean heart in verse 10, he, he used very peculiar, a very peculiar word in the Old Testament. The word create in verse 10 is only used in the Old Testament in reference to God's act of creation. When David asked God to create in him a clean heart, he's asking God for new creation. And that's all our repentance should seek after, not just forgiveness and mercy. We're asking for a new creation, not just a do-over, but a new heart. And what David only hopes for in this, in this psalm we see in the resurrection of Jesus. He is the new Adam, the first fruit of the new creation, and the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is working in you right now to make you a new creation. I have to admit, this has been a very hard sermon to write and a very hard sermon to preach because it makes me feel like such a hypocrite. 
The psalm just make me feel so dirty and sinful. But my sinfulness does not have the last word, and our story does not end on Good Friday. We're still living on Easter Sunday, so take a serious look at yourselves. Take your sins seriously, but take the grace of God even more seriously. Turn from your sins and live into the new creation. Will you bow your head and pray with me? Father, we're grateful for your words. We're grateful for even this tough passage from David as we look into our own hearts to this psalm that we are sinful, that we are beyond our own effort, that we can't help ourselves. But we are grateful that you have come to help us, not just to give us lessons to live better, but that you have died for us to cleanse us and that you rise, you rise, you rise from the dead so that the spirit that works in you will now work in us to make us into a new creation. So help us to live into that new creation. Help us to sing about the resurrection, sing about this new creation so that we can live into it. We have the strength to do better every day, not just by our own effort, but we ask your spirit to help us each day. So Father, we pray that you will be with us and help us not just on Sunday, but Monday to Saturdays, all the days of our week. And as we worship on Sundays, our hearts will be strengthened. We'll be strengthened by this bread and wine that we will drink and eat later to live into the new creation and live as your children. We pray these in the name of Jesus. Amen.